0: Hey, good morning. It's Pastor Rob. It's so great to see you today. When Heather and I were packing up our family and moving from Indianapolis to Arkansas so I could go to seminary, God did an amazing job of making it all work, whether it be um, just giving us access to a seminary that essentially I wouldn't have to to pay for my degree in because they had a a special program, a unique program for people who were a little older that wanted to go back. And learn. And so we were able to do that. He lined that up and he lined that up through a connection in his church and he made that happen so fast it's unbelievable. Or it be finding us a place to live in Arkansas because of yet another connection with his people, with the body of Christ that gave us a place to live, a house that was happened to be unrented in a college town just months before college was supposed to start. Pretty crazy, right? And, and one of the things we were confident he would do was help us sell our house quickly because you can't afford a mortgage in Indianapolis and pay rent in Arkansas at the same time. It's just not a workable thing. And so we were confident he would help us sell the house. So we got a friend of ours um, who was a church member with us to help us list it. We, you know, fixed up the house first because... Don't you know your house is always in the best shape right before you sell it to somebody else? So we sell the house and we kind of stage it up. We move some things out. and and But Heather is still running a daycare, kind of getting ready to close up her daycare at this point. So we're we're ready. We put it online. We're ready to go. And within a day or two, someone makes an offer on the house. And we think, this is it, right? God, God has lined up all these dominoes to make this work. Surely this is it. And we get the offer. And the offer has... Literally tens of thousands of dollars worth of requested repairs or a reduction in price in order to buy the house. And that would have completely eliminated any profit margin on the house from the time we bought it to the time we were selling it. It would have really gotten rid of just about all of it. And we thought, man, is this really what we what God wants us to do? And so we prayed about it and our agent prayed about it because she was a sister in Christ with us and we prayed and we decided, no. We don't need to take this offer. And I got to tell you, when we decided not to take this offer, that bothered me because God had lined up so many things. And I I guess I had an expectation that he he was going to do this just like he lined up everything else, right? He'd made everything so simple, so easy, so smooth. It was just working. And here was a bump in the road. God was not working as I had expected him to work. Well, you know, we're still doing life. We're still working. We're still raising our kids. And, and uh, several days go by and I'm out front on a Saturday afternoon mowing my lawn and this couple drives by and they kind of slow down and you can tell, right? You can tell they're clearly looking at the house. They probably saw it online and on their phones or on a multiple listing service, or they um, saw the sign in the yard. Either way, they slowed down and they had their window rolled down. And I kind of waved and they waved back because it was a beautiful summer day. And I said, hey, something just said, hey, (laughs) told me to say, hey, can you, you want, are you looking at the house? And they said, well, yeah, we were kind of looking at the house. It's pretty cute. And then out of, I don't know why I said this, because who does this? I said, well, do you want to come inside and look at it? Because it's normal to invite strangers into your house on a Saturday afternoon to look at your house. Because, our, right? It's not. Our house wasn't staged. It wasn't ready. It wasn't anything. Because, again, we were still cleaning up. We were packing up to move. There was still a daycare business going. There was so much going on in our house that it wasn't ready at that moment. And they said, they kind of looked at each other and then said... Yeah, yeah, we'll come inside and look at if that's okay. I said, Well, let me go inside and talk to my wife and make sure that she's decent, everybody's decent, before I let you into my house. So I go inside and I said, Heather, there's a couple outside, they're looking at the house. I told them they could come in and look, and she's like, Are you crazy? The house is a train wreck. I said, I know, but they said yes and I already asked them. They're parked the car, they're walking up the driveway. She's like, okay. So we we let them in the house and we walked them through. We walked them through our house and showed them the things that we had done and some improvements we'd made and talked about maybe some things that would need to be done in short order or down the road. And you know, Heather, after we left with after the conversation and they left, Heather was like, I like that couple. They can buy my house. Because you know when you when you invest a ton of who you are, your time and energy and money, and you raise your children in this house, it, it kind of becomes a part of you in many ways. And so we she said they can buy my house this was a saturday afternoon monday morning my real estate agent calls me and she says i there's an offer on your house for full asking price and i don't i don't know who it was no agent called me and said hey can these people walk through i think they're offering you the money sight unseen And I asked the names of the person because we would picked them up. And she told me. And I said, no, that's not sight unseen. And I told her what happened. She's like, that is not how this is supposed to work. (laughs) I said, well, God sometimes works in ways that you just don't expect him to work. He is faithful. He is true. But he is anything if if not unexpected or uh, unpredictable. Because sometimes or oftentimes he is. His plan is different than the one we might lay out or we might expect. As we get into our second week of our series in the book of Luke, this is we're going to walk through one of the most unexpected moments in human history. We're going to walk through the birth of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus Christ. It's a story that, that many of us know, but it's a story that is very much reflective of God's ability, willingness, to work in ways that we simply cannot understand or even begin to wrap our heads around. The people of God expected him to show up with a Messiah. They, they believed that. That's his promise. He has always promised that he would bring them a Messiah. And, and he's faithful and true, and they were confident that he was going to come. But they were also confident he was going to show up as a military leader. We alluded to some of that last week that he would show up as a military leader, but instead he shows up as a child, totally unexpected and yet totally necessary the way it needed to be for the gospel to be opened up not just to the people of God as they were then, but to the world as a whole, to any who would come to him. Now that story is found in Luke, in Luke chapter two, but I wanna catch up first before we get there. I wanna catch up with the rest of Luke chapter one because I think it's super important that we do. We read the first few verses last week, but the the rest of Luke chapter 1 is really focused on the arrival of John the Baptist. We talked about him last week, the guy whose job it is to roll out the carpet and say, y'all need to look. Here he comes. Here comes the Messiah, the King, the Son of God, the one that God has promised. He's on his way. He's here right now. Y'all be be ready because here he comes. That was John's job. Well, John is actually a relative of jesus a distant cousin of jesus john is born into a family of priests zachariah his father the text says is a priest in the line of abijah so he can trace his roots very very far back into the priesthood of the people of god and then his mother elizabeth is from is one of the daughters of aaron is what this text says not traces your roots in the in the priesthood of god all the way back to the establishment of the priesthood of god it was aaron who was the first and so he has a very they have a very detailed and lengthy history as priests as the people who are the intermediaries between god and man it was really their job to make sacrifices and their job to burn incense and their job to be the conduit the connection to make sins right you really had to have a priest there in order to make things work as God had asked for them to work. We also know that Zechariah and Elizabeth were well along in their years, is what the text says. What that means is they were too old to be having kids. (laughs) They were too old to be having children. And one day when Zechariah is in the temple, because the text says it was his turn to be in the temple, he's in the temple and he's burning incense in the sanctuary. And then the angel Gabriel One of the few angels in the Bible that are named, right? The angel Gabriel comes and visits Zechariah and gives him this, tells him. And Zechariah is scared to death because when you see an angel, maybe you should be. They're not cute little babies with wings. (laughs) They are the very glory of God right in front of you. They're too much for you to handle. And so he's scared to death and he says, the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because God is going to provide for you a child, a child filled with the Holy Spirit. Even before he leaves his mother's womb, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Zachariah is like, You've got to be kidding me. And the angel's like, No, it's going to happen. But since you didn't believe me, you're not allowed to talk or tell anybody till the child is born. But you're going to have a child. At John's birth, because he said it was going to happen and it did. <laughs> at John's birth Zechariah is suddenly able to talk again and he makes this prophecy about John it's found in Luke chapter 1 verses 67 through 79 it's this lengthy prophecy about what John would grow up to be able to do but 76 and 77 of chapter 1 I think give us the core of it it says and you child This is is Zechariah talking about John. You will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. In a nutshell, John's job prophesied by his dad as given to him by the Lord before he had even grown up, right? Just as he was just being born, that catches us up on the story. And shortly after that, a young man and a woman enter Bethlehem. And this is where we pick it up. And so we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verses, we're going to start, we're going to read all the way through verse 20, but we're going to do it in chunks. So we're going to go through verses 1 through 7 to begin with. So follow along with me. I'm going to be in the CSB. It says this, in these days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone to be registered went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them at the inn. Well, it doesn't say at the inn, but it does in other translations. (laughs) So the story emphasizes the humility with which Christ enters the world right we we get to see how God chooses to become flesh not this mighty warrior he chooses to come flesh to become flesh as a vulnerable child he chooses to be born to a young girl our best guess on the age of Mary at the time is somewhere between 14 and 16 years old right she's young she's a young girl and and he chooses to come through her which quite frankly at that time and maybe even now some still wouldn't elicit a celebration so much as a a scandal right not the pomp and circumstance you expect with the arrival of a king or messiah he's working very differently than we would have expected he's born into a family of little money or status to contrast that with with john's family john is a a family of status. He is well known in the community. Zachariah is. He is a priest in the temple. But Jesus is born to someone who is of the line of David, which many were. But clearly, without all of those trappings around him, they are, he arrives. That Jesus, the 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 Savior, arrives in a barn or what many scholars believe is just a cave cut out of the mountain was where animals were often kept during that time. And he's placed essentially in a feeding trough. He's placed in an animal feeding trough because that's all they have. It's mind-boggling to me that he would choose to arrive that way, totally the opposite of, frankly, what I would have been looking for. I would have been looking for someone who was going to show up with sword in hand and ready to just take out anything that was a threat, that was so strong and so, if you're going to use a video game reference, OP, right? so overpowered that there was no way you could possibly stand in his way. And he shows up as a baby, almost incognito, almost incognito. But this says something about the purpose of Jesus and the humility of Jesus. Um, theologian William Barclay says it th- this way. He talks about the story of rulers and royals in the Middle Ages used to travel around. They would go in disguise and they would travel around incognito, so people wouldn't know who they were, just to kind of see what was going on in the street. and And he tells this one story of of this ruler that would go out and do that. And his advisors would repeatedly say, "Bad, bad idea, dude. If somebody sees you, you're dead. They're gonna whack you. You're done. Bad idea." He but he ignores his advisors and continues to do it anyways. They repeatedly ask him to stop. And finally he says to them, I cannot, I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. In Jesus, we can see a God who set aside the glories of heaven for a humble life and then experienced life exactly as we do. Barclay would also say, quote, We can have hope because our God is not far removed from sufferings. He is a man of sorrow who has faced every temptation. And because of this, we can approach him with our every need without fear or without hesitation. This method, this way he arrived was unexpected, but absolutely necessary if he was going to relate to and connect with everyone, not just a special group, but with all those who would choose to, To come to him. He had to have some experience in life. He had to have experienced the same things we did in order to connect just as the royals in the Middle Ages did. Although Jesus is far more royal. (laughs) I think it's also interesting that the one who would serve Jesus, John the Baptist, was born into a family of priests, while the Lord himself is born to a family Who lives on the fringe? That is not who you would expect Jesus to come from, the Messiah to come from. And it's a reminder of last week's memory verse. If you remember that, it was Luke chapter four, verses eighteen and nineteen. It says, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because we have anointed. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and the recovery." of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has chosen to connect with people so that that they can see that he understands what it means to live among the oppressed. He has chosen to be that humble for our own sake, not for his. He could have come in riding on a horse and waving a sword and just taking everybody out that choice seems to be far less about what he needed and far more about what we needed to open up the gospel to all of us who might choose to follow him. For Mary and Joseph, though, this is really bad timing. This is horrible, right? <laughs> I remember the story of when we were, Heather was delivering Rachel, and I remember us we were in the hospital for quite some time. I got stories for days on that one. But remember the nurses kind of hurrying around um preparing they were preparing not for heather to give birth but for someone who was on the way in who was about to deliver twins and so they were in the room next door preparing delivery spaces and getting things ready and when you have multiple children there there are more complication potentials and so they were really scrambling to make sure they were ready for this delivery and probably hoping that heather wasn't going to deliver much deliver immediately um which I'm sure Heather would have chosen the opposite, right? But <laughs> So they're scrambling around trying to do this, and we're like, oh, well, we need to stay quiet and stay out of the way, let them do what they need to do. And then a few minutes later, all the rustling kind of just stops, and we're like, what's going on? And our nurse pokes her head in, and she goes, well, turns out they had the twins on the freeway, on the way here. So we're not preparing for a birth anymore. We're just preparing to, to provide aftercare for a mom and two healthy babies. I guarantee you when that couple left their house, that was not the plan, right? (laughs) Their plan was to get to the hospital and get settled in and get ready with doctors and nurses and, and sterile gear all around them and to give birth to their children. And yet the timing didn't make, didn't allow that to happen. It was very, very different. For Mary and Joseph... The census has really bad timing. They've had to travel about 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, uh, walking or on the back of a donkey or a combination thereof. They've had to carry everything they need to survive. Commonly, when you were able to, if you were able to find a space in an inn, which we know they were not, but even if you were able to find a space in an inn, it was really just accommodations. It was really just a bed and a roof over your head to keep you warm. Um, you had to bring your own food. You had to bring your own supplies, the things that you needed to survive. It wasn't like going to the Hampton Inn down the road and there's a free, free complimentary breakfast, right? That's not the way this were, Or a shower. That was, Those weren't things back then. So I think we have a very different perspective on what an inn looks like. It was just a roof and a bed. And everything else you needed to travel with, you were bringing with you. There were. there's no mention of having midwives or family around or anyone else around to help them with this delivery. All the people that we have come to depend on, we want to be able to depend on for such a thing. They're alone. And, I would, and though I don't know this for sure because I'm not in Mary's head, I'd be willing to bet when Mary said, you're gonna deliver, when the Lord came to Mary and said, you are going to deliver a child and this child will be the son of God. She probably didn't picture this, right? And yet this is the way he chooses to come. This is when and how God chooses to make his entrance into the world. When God chooses to make his entrance, how and when to make an entrance into our life, to make a change, to call us to something, to present an opportunity to sell your house, whatever that is, right? If he shows up in such a way that he's ready to engage in your life actively in the moment, he's always present. But there are moments when he kind of just shows up and says, hey, I'm here. I got something I want you to do or something I need you to do. Do we embrace it? Or do we call it bad timing in bulk at it, Right? Do we, if, if he gives us an opportunity to encounter someone in pain, do we see it as an inconvenience or something overwhelming or do we see it as an opportunity? Uh, when he gives us an opportunity to have a conversation that is well overdue with someone, maybe a rifted relationship or something, do we avoid it again or do we speak truth and love do we engage the opportunity that he's given us Jesus enters the world with humble purpose and the truth is if we're going to respond to his timing we need to have the same approach we need to operate with the same humility in responding to his call on our lives as well if we continue the story in verse 8 verses eight through 14, we're gonna read this time. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. And then the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior is born for you who is the Messiah, of the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people that he favors. Packed in there is our memory verse for the week. It's going to be Luke chapter 2 verse 10. It says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's our memory verse. Write that down. Work on repeating that this week. Get that ingrained to your head because it's important that we remember that Jesus didn't just come for some people. He came for all people who would who would respond to the gospel. Theologian William Barclay talks about these shepherds that Jesus or that the angel has chosen to show up for because that's who God directed him to show up to see or to to present himself to and to tell this story. He said that shepherds were despised by the orthodox people of the day. They were despised because they couldn't keep the ceremonial laws. They weren't able to keep up with the ritual hand washings and the rules and the regulations. Their flocks kept them busy so they weren't engaged in the life of the congregation or the synagogue at all. And they were really just hated by the religious leaders of the day for so much that they didn't do that they thought they had to do or should do. And yet, God chose these people, people others might not pay attention to, to be the first to know. And the first he invites to come and see the Savior of the world. And I think it's so important. He invites them to come and see him. That word, the the term their heavenly host, uh, is either, in Greek, is either an, an army of angels or the stars in heaven themselves. Either way, these guys are standing in a field, in a dark field with their sheep, trying to make sure, just watching out for wolves. Maybe they have a fire burning to keep warm and keep some light. But they're sitting out in the middle of nowhere and the heavenly host begins to praise God and sing right, and say, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. This army and of angels, or maybe even the stars themselves begin to sing. That is mind-boggling that this is how he shows up. Again, utterly unexpected, but utterly necessary to send the message. He wants these people, these shepherds, these men that are despised by so many to be his first to come and see what he is doing for the world. And that says something, again, about the humility of God and about his desire to reach everyone, you and I and everyone. And I think sometimes we get caught up in that. We get caught up in the idea that maybe you've done some things that are so bad that God could never come for you, right? Or that you can't have your relationship reconciled with him. And yet, if we look at the scripture, we're going to see this all the way through Luke, God repeatedly, repeatedly uses people That society would throw aside and say, You are not worthy, repeatedly uses them, calls them to Him, and says, I love you. You are capable. I made you to serve. I made you to be part of my family. Come and see. And what's important about that, and what's important, should be important for us, is whether or not we respond. How do we respond? If we finish out the rest of our text today, Luke chapter two, verses 15 through 20, it says this, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. All All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds went where they were called right then. The text goes out of its way to say they hurried. They went straight to this. They said, God has called us to go do this, to engage in this. He has reached out to us. Maybe when nobody else would ever think to come to us, he has come to us and said, let's go do this. And they said, let's do it right now. They didn't wait until after their shift was over. <laughs> they didn't wait till the next time the angel of the Lord might show up. They didn't wait till it was convenient. They said, let's go right now. They likely left behind the sheep and said, the things of this earth are not as important as what he has shown us today, and I need to go do it right now. They also discovered something in doing so. They discovered that God's word was true, but they had to trust and obey to go see it and i wonder sometimes if we're able to do that we are able to just trust and obey that if god has sent us somewhere to do something or given us an opportunity to engage somebody else in his name or to encourage them or to strengthen them or to 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 donate to to a cause to lift up people who are impoverished or who are oppressed as luke would say do we do that right then or do we find a way not to or do we just kick it to the back burner and say I'll get to it when I get to it. No problem is. You're never going to discover God's word is true if you don't step into where he calls you to go, right? It's 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 that's what building trust is about. It's trusting that he will that if he tells you to go serve in a soup kitchen every Monday night, that you go serve in a soup kitchen every Monday night knowing that God has told you to do this, being faithful And trusting that he will reveal to you at some point why. It's about not asking why. It's about just saying, yes, I will. But so often we say, "Mm, I don't know. Why? Do you really want me to do this? Are you sure? I don't know if I would do it that way. That's not exactly how I would have planned it. And we miss out on seeing his faithfulness. We miss out on discovering that when God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. We cut ourselves off from it. The shepherds did not. They went, and they discovered that what God said was going to happen, happened. They discovered that what God said they were going to see, they saw, as incredulous as it sounded, because it was. The idea of the Savior of the world showing up as a baby wrapped in cloths, again, utterly unexpected. Are you kidding me? This cannot be, right? No way. And yet, here he is, just as God said. They also did something else once they left. In verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. And it makes me wonder, do we celebrate God's work in in and around us enough? Do we celebrate when he has healed us? those we know and love? Do we celebrate for safety? And Do we celebrate when he's given us security? Do we celebrate when he has given us opportunities to engage in the work he wants us to do? Do we celebrate often enough the birth of the Savior? Or do we just once a year kind of remember that this happened? There's something powerful about our witness, our capacity to reach others if we are people who celebrate what God is has done, and is doing for us in our daily lives. And as we go through this week, I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to stop and make a list of the things that God is doing for you or has done for you in the past, right? And to make take the opportunity to literally lift up your hands, maybe in a closet by yourself or in a room by yourself, whatever, to lift up your hands and to praise God for the things that he has done, Praise God for bringing a couple past my house and selling it. Oh my goodness. Praise God for lining up school for me. Praise God for protecting my children. Praise God for bringing us here to the top of Ohio, praise God for so much that he has provided for. Praise God for my parents that I love so much and that absolutely did their best to give my brother and I the best opportunities they could in this world. Praise God for surrounding us, for the the memories of my grandmothers and, and church and their relationships with God. Praise God for so much that he has blessed me with And I know he has blessed you with too. And maybe not the same things, maybe not the same stories. But if we fail to celebrate when God has shown up in our lives, we will soon forget what God has done. And we are unable to do the things that God wants us to do, which is to be his witness in the world. To tell people the story. To go where he's asked us to go and to to come back singing his songs, glorifying and praising God for all the things that we have seen and heard. God is faithful. God is true. He will often show up in ways you do not expect, but they will be infinitely better than anything you could possibly imagine. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.